unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm fantastic, and I'm looking at the show notes, and I'm realizing we're returning to my favorite episodes, my favorite series yep. in the Copywriters Podcast podcast, and so I'm stoked about today's episode. Yeah, that's right. Today's show is part of our popular Old Master series, which I know you love so much, and we've got some unusual info and ideas from a copywriter of old, John Starr Hewitt. And this comes from a book we've pulled from before, from 1925, called Masters of Advertising Copy. Now, from everything I've seen in this book, Hewitt is the only contributor who gets down to cases when it comes to what it takes to become a master in copywriting. His ideas are decidedly different even for today. He talks about the subtle skills a copywriter needs to develop and the subtle changes that occur as you get better and better. I agreed with most of what he said. I didn't have an issue with any of it, but some of it was a little hard to understand and apply for copywriting today. Still, most of it, most of what I'm going to talk about today translates very easily and all of it is interesting. So more about how to structure an ad or how to do your research. This chapter from Hewitt focuses on awareness, what you need to pay attention to, both with your product and regarding the world at large. And since this is new information, the way he presents it, I think you'll find it useful and maybe it'll give you some new ideas. So let's talk about John Starr Hewitt and his chapter. I couldn't find out much about him personally or career-wise, except that it looks like he was from New Jersey. His main idea is what you see and what you feel is a major set of factors in your success as a copywriter. It's interesting that this was from 100 years ago when only recently maybe authenticity and deep empathy have become so important in copywriting. Maybe again, maybe for the first time for copywriters. Because he was writing 100 years ago, every copywriter Hewitt refers to is a he. I hope you, the listener, you can look past that and understand for the sake of accuracy, not adding extra language to the quotes, you can assume that he means he or she for today's show. So Hewitt begins by saying, the more one sees of the difficulties of copywriting, the deeper grows the conviction that really great copy depends even more on seeing and feeling than it does on writing. The man who sees and feels can hardly help writing sincerely. To express fully a fine, deep feeling calls for writing skill possessed in the highest degree by only a few in each generation. Okay, so what he's saying is there's only going to be a few really great copywriters at any given time. And I agree, 
there will only be a few who are truly at the top of the pyramid, at the top of their game. But that doesn't mean it's game over for everyone else, because in copywriting, you can make a really great living. You can even make millions of dollars without being one of the very, very, very best. However, you really have to home in on some key skills and get as good as you can get at them. And Hewitt sounds a little more like Don Carlton when he says, so it behooves copywriters to grow up, get their workbench in order, and learn to practice the art as a mature and conscious craftsman. Well, alrighty then. All right, so copywriter skills. Hewitt has some unconventional ideas on what it takes to write great copy, whether in the past or for today. I happen to agree with him, but I haven't heard many other people talk about it. Here's what he has to say about that. There are four essential tools for the copywriter. One, sympathetic understanding of plain folks. Two, genuine appreciation for the human facts about merchandise. Three, sensitive feelings for what, the, what words mean to the other fellow. And four, sincere respect for a commercial ideal. One important point, and Hewitt may have been the first to make it since this was around 1925 or earlier when he wrote it, is that the copywriter wears two hats or two sets of glasses. Those of the manufacturer or marketer or service provider and those of the customer. Copywriter has to wear both pair of glasses or both hats at the same time. Needs to see things from both perspectives and build a bridge between those two perspectives. As Hewitt puts it, the copywriter's job is to understand both the manufacturer and the public and to bring them together on the ground of mutual belief in each other. He, the copywriter, has committed himself to express the rich human meaning of his client's business in terms of the specific, concrete human life of the reader. I mean, let me go over that last sentence again, because I think it's, it's really profound, and it, it doesn't quite just jump out at you, but it's really worth thinking about. The copywriter has committed himself to express the rich human meaning of his client's business in terms of the specific, concrete human life of the reader. That's so important. As a writer and as a business person, it's way too easy to get caught up in big ideas, abstractions, strategies, the macro view of life, economic trends, market forces, market share, things like that. Your client may worry about some or all those things, but customers won't and don't when they're buying. They want to know if a product will work, how fast it will work, how reliable it is. They want to know how well it will solve a specific problem or help them meet a certain need that they can talk about in great visual, emotional, and sensory detail. Let me bring this down to earth. Last week, a couple I know had their second baby, and they weren't concerned about the national fertility rate or which ethnic groups were having more or fewer children or the latest trends on Twitter about parenting. Now, I know the man and the couple very well. He's a brilliant thinker. He's quite skilled at high-level analysis of marketing ideas. He does a good job in his business life of keeping track of trends. But immediately after the arrival of his second child, he was not having any of those high-level thoughts. At that moment, what was more in his mind were questions like, how healthy is the baby? Does she look more like me or more like her mom? 
did we do everything we could at home so she'll have a good room to sleep in once we get back from the hospital? This client of mine is high-powered, very sophisticated. He has amazing analytical and intuitive skills. He actually rewrote the curriculum for one subject for his country's entire school system for one grade level when he was still in high school. That doesn't matter at all when he has a new family member. Suddenly, he's just plain folks like everybody else. And this is really hard to grasp at first for a lot of copywriters. But the sooner you realize every person in the world is human and that emotions are grouped around simple, everyday things, the better off you'll be. Two things come to mind. Number one, obvious atoms. And that was kind of like a major point of that book. The other thing that comes to mind is as a copywriter, you'll find yourself doing a lot of consult consulting with your clients. It's not just writing. It's a lot of brainstorming and uh, marketing consulting that goes into copywriting as well. And one of the things that I am constantly over and over and over again, having to remind my clients, it, 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 no matter what the question is, how do we position this? How do we state this? What, what should be on the packaging? What should we change about the product? It always comes back to, well, what does the customer want? What do they want to be told? What do they want to feel? How do they want to be sold? And that is one of the key things I think that makes a good copywriter is to be able to step out of the selling position and step into the position of the people being sold and ask yourself, well, what do they want? And you, you nailed it with that. So yeah, I'm, I wholeheartedly agree, sir. Yeah, that's so key. And it's so easy to lose track of when you get so, you know, you can get mentally, it might not even be your ego if it's someone else's product, but it's your fascination and your process. You get so lost inside the product. You need to remember that. You need to remember that. Okay. So moving on to Hewitt, four principles of effective copy. Another thing Hewitt said in this chapter is, and I think this shows that he was way ahead of his time. He said, the highest and truest advertising copy is always pitched to the specific here and now. It sounds pretty simple, but it's actually a very subtle and profound insight. Another way of saying what Hewitt said is like this. Copy is not really about the comp product or the company makes the product. It's not even about the prospect in general. It's about that moment in the prospect's life when the product and what it does collides with the prospect experiencing a problem, a need, or a desire. That exact moment. If you think about the great nightmare stories that open successful video sales letters, you can see why, well, you can see that idea at work. The story is not a biography starting at birth and wending its way to the present moment. Instead, it's about one incident, one moment in time where disaster struck and what the person in the story decided to do about it. So from this insight about copy being about the here and now, Hewitt lays out four principles of effective copy. Number one, every piece of merchandise has a specific concrete appeal. Number two, this appeal is organic to the nature of the merchandise and its relations to the human life of the consumer. Three, what the consumer thinks and feels about it depends on the time, the place, and the state of the public mind about that kind of merchandise. And four, every kind of merchandise goes through 
three stages in the public consciousness. I mean, this is, Nathan, aren't you finding this a little different than what we hear from most people who write about copy? Yeah. Yeah. So here are the three stages of a product's life cycle, according to Hewitt. Let's take a minute to look at this life cycle of a new product that succeeds. And of course, not every product does. As we do, notice the copywriter's job changes in each stage. So stage one of a new product is what Hewitt calls a pioneer invention. These days, we would call the people who buy just after a product is announced early adopters. Compared to the potential market and the number of buyers eventually, if the product gets to stages two and three, in stage one, you have relatively few buyers. The copywriter's job is, and I quote, to sell the human meanings of the new invention, close quote, and to start to build the authority and the credibility of the business that made the product. This is the biggest challenge of all three stages, because while people are fascinated by novelty, they are always afraid of change. So your job as a copywriter is to show how familiar old needs and wants are being satisfied in an exciting new way by this new product, a way that's fresh, intriguing, and most importantly, believable. It's a question of comparing what's new and what's old and familiar so people feel okay about taking the leap into trying something new. Stage two of a new product is what Hewitt describes as this. Word gets around that something is it. No, word gets around that there's something in it. Greatly increased public acceptance. And Hewitt says the copywriter's job here is to reckon with a new set of human reactions. True, there is still a large section of the public to be sold on the desirability of this kind of merchandise, but other manufacturers are doing it now. The big job now is to consolidate the authority of the pioneer manufacturer as to style, price, and money's worth. He's speaking very concisely, but what he's saying is if you're the first one, you've got to own the position in people's minds that you're the reliable, valued, valuable, preferable product. And I would say this stage two in Hewitt's model reminds me a lot of stages two and three of market sophistication in breakthrough advertising, where what Gene Schwartz says is you enlarge your claim in stage two, make a bigger claim, or you introduce a new mechanism and that's stage three. And once there's competition, which there wasn't when you were a pioneer, but once there is, now you need to bring in the big guns. And that's what bigger claims and new mechanisms are. And you might want to get a hold of Gene Schwartz's book, Breakthrough Advertising. You can find it online, BreakthroughAdvertisingBook.com. If you're not familiar with the techniques of bigger claims and new mechanism, you know, we could do three podcasts on that too. <laughs> Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands 
including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show. Finally, back to Hewitt, we get to stage three. Everybody now takes this kind of merchandise for granted, he says. Everybody now takes this kind of merchandise for granted. It is won its place in the life of the nation. Thousands are buying it. Hundreds are manufacturing it. This is the stage of acute, acute, one word, acute competition. These days, the term we use is red ocean. The idea is there are so many sharks in the water that sharks are attacking other sharks and there's blood everywhere. The cell phone industry is a good example of that. Any competitive industry could be called a red ocean industry. Of course, Hewitt comes from a gentler time and Here's what he says about stage three. The responsibility of the copywriter now is to strengthen the competitive position of his client, not only with the consumer, but with the dealer. So you've got the manufacturer, you've got the person who buys it, but at least the way business was structured outside of a few mail order companies in the 1920s, there was a dealer. And to some degree, there still are dealers. Go to a mall, that's a dealer. Now, I'd like to make this comment before continuing the quote. If you're doing online, you know, internet marketing kind of stuff, digital marketing, uh, info marketing, instead of dealer, think affiliate. All right. Some of my mentoring clients have assignments, often very lucrative assignments, to write emails for affiliates to send out to bring in new customers. For a company will write an email for its own affiliates and they'll hire a copywriter to do it. Same idea of what Hewitt's talking about. And now continuing with Hewitt, the situation, he says, calls for the copywriter's understanding of, quote, human nature and his ability to present the human meanings of style, price, money's worth, and the authoritative leadership of the manufacturer. So he's not just talking about building a product brand. He's talking about building an image of the manufacturer as the leader, authority. Everything he writes, Hewitt says, even to the consumer, must strengthen his client's position with the dealer, the affiliate. In this competitive stage, strong relations with the best dealers are of utmost importance. He is the man who possess, passes the merchandise along to the consumer, and every manufacturer is competing for his trade. Again, one more time, if you're doing online marketing, when you hear the word dealer, substitute the word affiliate. Before I get to our last section, anything about those three stages that prompted the thought? Just that I advise people, especially in startups, people that are just coming to the market, uh, a lot of times we think, oh, nobody's selling this. It's a blue ocean. And that may be, but a lot of times the reason nobody's selling it is because there's not a market for it. And pioneers tend to come home with a back full of arrows. So it's a very risky gamble. And I think the advice given, if you are going to, Henry Ford said, if I listened to the market, I would have built faster horses or something along those lines. <laughs> so 
sometimes there is a need for innovation. Sometimes there is a need for a revolutionary new product, but you have to do it right. And these three phases, these three stages of how to do it, nail it. So if you're going to introduce something revolutionary, go back and re-listen to that three-step process. Good. Wow. Thanks. Okay. So our last section, and this is personal, hopefully in a good way. These are signs of growth and progress as a copywriter. Hewitt has some definite opinions about what makes a great copywriter. He calls on us to look out for shifts in public opinion. They may take their rise in any twist of human nature and assume any one of a hundred forms, he says. The man who cannot sense these shifts in public opinion and base his copy on them has not the markings of a great copywriter. But nearly everyone has a little native inward spark of such understanding. He may not even be aware of it now, but he must have it or he would never have been led to express himself through advertising. If he has the persistence to take the spark, nurse it, feed it with human contacts, fan it into the growing flame of all comprehending human sympathy sooner or, you know, this, this guy reminds me of some of the new thought guys um, in there. All right, back to what he said. Sooner or later, he will find himself a true copywriter, often when he is just about given up hope of writing any copy worthwhile. Hmm. Mm. As the copywriter becomes more and more in tune with the larger and larger swath of humanity, Hewitt says, his writing starts to change. Here's how he puts it. As this growth takes place within himself, he will find his writing style purifying itself with his thinking, fewer adjectives more nouns and verbs, the words that express fact and action. And this is interesting. Listen closely. He is apt to find his vocabulary growing smaller, sloughing off a lot of vague general words that used to clutter up everything he wrote. What he has left are a few thousand vivid words that express the true universal thoughts and emotions of everyday life. Simple words, most of them, many of only one syllable. Then he would start talks about writing conversationally the way you would talk about it a hundred years ago. His writing takes on a new vocal quality. It is as satisfying to the ear as to the eye. The vocal quality is a thing to be worked for. It is not merely worth acquiring. It is vital. Until a piece of copy has this vocal quality, it is not pulling its full load. It reaches the reader only through the eye. The highest, finest writing gets to the reader through the ear also. This is not a writer's trick. It is a basic human fact. Nearly everybody, when he reads, pronounces the words to himself. The sound of the word floats into the brain through the ear while the shape of the words is entering through the eye. So the impression is doubled. When a piece of copy won't read right, the chances are it is full of long words. Because the sounds get all jumbled up. It is the shortest simple words that make easy reading copy. They vocalize. Mostly these words are of the oldest heritage of the race. They are polished by long use until they slip easily from the tongue and snuggle themselves into the ear. They are apt to arrange themselves kindly in the sentence. They offer the widest range of vocal color. 
soothing words, bustling words, and words that ring like a gong. You know, all I can say about this episode is you can tell that this guy, John Star Hewitt, spent a lot of time thinking and milling around in his brain what it was to write copy, what it was to communicate effectively, and definitely deserves to be inside of the Old Masters series. Yeah, he does. This one, I mean, it it didn't change my world, but it moved me very deeply in a way that none of the other chapters in any of these books or none of these other books has. And I think it's for that reason. Nice. Okay. So I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Thank you for putting it together, David. What was the name of the book again? If people want to go check this out. It's Masters of Advertising Copy. And I've put a link in there so you can download the PDF from Google because it's in public domain. You can also buy it if you want on Amazon. There are a lot of ways to get it. Masters of Advertising Copy. It's one of these compilations where you have a lot of people writing in the book. Nice. So if you want to find the link to it, head on over to the show notes. That'll be at copywriterspodcast.com. Make sure while you're there, you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcasting app. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on GarfinkelMedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to GarfinkelMedia.com and fill out the form. That's GarfinkelMedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network. 